Mike caught me saying another amen. Dan, we are so glad the Lord brought you to us and that you lead us in worship. And all of our team that is so willing to give of their time week after week, we're grateful for that. That's right. All of them. Welcome this morning. If you're welcoming, if you're new, if you're visiting with, if you're welcoming with us this morning, we welcome you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you this morning. So glad that you are here. Steve and Dana, it's just Steve, there's other Steve and Dana back there. We want you to know as a congregation, we have grieved with you the last few weeks, and we're so glad that you're here today. They brought Lisa with them. Lisa, we're glad that you're with us this morning. So just, it's good to be back all together as family. It's been quite a few weeks of journey. Just think about that last song, Unbroken Praise Be Yours. And just watching Steve and Dana go through that time and wanting to have a life of unbroken praise and living that before us has been so good. And Robert Bishop, good morning to you. Glad that you could be with us this morning. Welcome. Anyone else visiting with us? Let's just check it out right now. Find out. Okay. Right here. Roger, who's this? Mike. Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you are here. Mr. Wagonette, you visiting with us this morning? Good to have you here this morning, too. Didn't slip that hand up at all. I have a bad memory, too. I just shook your hand, and I'd probably forget. And Joe, thanks for leading us in a time of the remembering what the Jesus has done for us in the observance of the elements. What a beautiful time that is. I do a a telephone conference call with a group of businessmen from around the world and on Monday mornings once a month, so tomorrow morning's that morning, and we're going through a series on discipleship, and tomorrow morning the issue is repentance. And so throughout the past few weeks, I've been reading Thomas Watson's book, The Doctrine of Repentance. If you have never read that book, I highly recommend it. You just touch that book and you'll be sanctified. I guarantee it. Just hold it in your hand and God will start doing something in your heart. Um, Puritan, way back, 1600s, he wrote this book, but it is amazing. And so just going before the Lord's Supper with my heart full of all that Christ has done for us, what a beautiful time that was. We're going to be in our Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 17. So if you would open up your Bibles and as you open your Bibles, I want to remind you that Janice is going to be taking off on her trip next Sunday night. She's got materials back at the table back there and would invite you to just drop by that table, pick up so you can be praying for her on her trip next Sunday morning. We'll take some time to pray for her too. Where is Janice? Jan- How long are you going to be gone? Three months. I mean, that's forever. And so we'll have to we'll have to spend some time praying for her next Sunday morning. Luke 17, we're continuing our series here in this book, and we continue to see that Jesus is calling us to a certain way of life. And I know that for me, every week, I'm coming before the Lord and I'm thinking about what, what God wants from me, how He wants to work in my life. So thankful for Jim last week, just taking us through His Word God's Word and opening that up to us. And, and I, I was telling him that, I can't remember the phrase he used, but um, you know, at his age, he's still trying to work on what that means in his life. And I, I'm so, so thankful. I'm 55 and I keep on thinking, wow, I continue to try to work on these things in my life as well. But we want to continue this in Luke chapter 17 this morning. Let me begin with this. March Madness is here. So maybe to you that means nothing. 
To me, it means a lot. I love this time of the year. So sorry about North Carolina and what happened there. I mean, just sorry about that. It was expected that Alabama was going to go down. Um, but this is a great month. And so we've had a lot of good basketball players have gone through the college ranks. And oftentimes, people will try to compare Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Who was the best? It probably depends on where you're from as to who you might think fits in that category. We, how do we even measure this? And there, there's oftentimes debates. There'll be articles that will be written on it. This is where I land on this, just in case you want to know. To me, it's really important that there are many players that played around Michael Jordan that you would have never known their name, except they played around Michael Jordan. And they, you don't know their name just because they played with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had a way of not only being a phenomenal basketball player, he had a way of making the people around him better basketball players. And so you might want to make the same argument with Kobe Bryant, but I would say that the, the scales weigh, land in the favor of Michael Jordan, that he was not only a wonderful basketball player to watch, but he actually made those people around him better players as well. Now you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with Luke? Well, it has something to do with our passage right here this morning. In a church, if I can put it this way, we need a Jordan mindset. That's what we need. We need a Jordan mindset where not only are we putting all of our energies and passions, desires into being the kind of disciple that God calls us to be, but look around the room, you also want that for everyone in this room. And so if I were to put a title on this message this morning, it would be In It Together. We're in it together. That Jordan, I should have just called it Jordan Mindset. Jordan Mindset, that not only do we want to live fully to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, but again, looking around the room, we want that for others who are in the room. We are a team and that's what makes church ultimately effective is that we, aren't, we are never saved as lone rangers. You don't celebrate the Lord's Supper by yourself. You celebrate that with the family that you are a part of. And so we have a togetherness in Christ. And so this morning as we come to this passage, Luke 17, verses 1 through 19, we might want to ask the question as we go through this time, are we pursuing maturity and calling others to do the same? Are we doing that? Is that really the focus of our life? And are we calling others to do the same? So let me read this passage, and then we're going to make three points about it, and then we'll um, finish up our worship time. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. Then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? 
Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us this morning? This is your eternal word. You have truths that you want us to feed on, to digest, to live. And so even as we were praying, Lord, we want you to take our lives. We want you to enter our hearts. We want our hearts to be your throne. And so as we continue to pursue you and seek you and love you, we pray that you would use these words this morning to transform us, make us the kind of people that you want us to be for your name's sake and for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three points that I want to make. I want us to look at verses one through four, and I would entitle this, we are to pursue maturity together. I've tried to take these three scenes, pull them together, and really try to give us one thing to focus on. So in verses one through four, we are to pursue maturity together. And then we're going to look at verses five through 10, which are strongly connected with verses one through four. What God has called us to do, okay, pursuing maturity together. What God has called us to do, he has equipped us to be. And that's what we're going to look at in verses 5 through 10. And then we get verses 11 through 19, which at least as I've been studying through this text is a little less connected with these verses. I'm going to try to tie it all together though. What God does is worthy of all glory. So we are to pursue maturity together. What God has called us to do, he's equipped us to be. And what God does is worthy of all glory. Those are the three points that we want to to consider together this morning. We're going to spend probably the majority of our time on verses 1 through 4. That's going to set up the foundation for us, where Jesus is now talking to his disciples. So we've been going through a lot of different teachings, sometimes to the crowd, sometimes to the disciples, almost always as he talks to the disciples, the crowd is listening in. But he looks right at the disciples here, And he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. Okay, New American Standard Bible says this, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. Jesus is saying that we are to pursue maturity in our lives in this first section, verses 1 through 3a. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one for whom they come. It would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. Jesus is calling an attention to the disciples. They are to be pursuing maturity in their life. They are not to be living such a life that would be a stumbling block for someone else. They've got to pay attention 
to themselves. They've got to be pursuing maturity in their life. They don't want to be living in such a way that someone would bump into their life and it would be a stumbling block for them, that they would be a temptation for someone else. We are to live in a manner that points people toward God, not away from Him. And if you want to be a person who's pointing people toward God, then you've got to be pursuing maturity in your own life. That's why Jesus says, don't be a stumbling block. Pay attention to yourself. And so Jesus is going to give us a reality, and he's going to follow it by a warning, and then he's going to follow that with a charge in this first section. The reality is temptations will come. It's inevitable that stumbling blocks are going to come. This is a given. As we walk as children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ, we are bombarded by the course of this world. We are bombarded by Satan and his forces who want us to live contrary. They want everything in this world to go contrary to God's will. From the very beginning to the garden, on throughout life, right into your life these these days, temptations will come. That is a reality. And our tendencies towards sin need to continuously be put to death. That's why Paul writes to the church at Colossae in chapter 3 and says, put to death these things. You've got to put them to death. And he reminds the believers over and over, you are new creatures in Christ. You are to clothe yourselves with something radically different. But that temptation, that natural tendency can continue to plague us throughout our lives. We need to also be reminded, though, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul reminds the believers there in verses 12 through 13 that there's no temptation that comes on you, but such is common to everyone. Okay, the temptations we encounter, this is just common stuff. Different day, different story, different context, but we're all up against it together. And he makes that promise that God will provide a way of escape. In other words, to pursue maturity, to pursue righteousness. Even though we have all these forces up against us in our own natural inclinations to pursue righteousness, There's an opportunity for that that is there. We can put to death. We can clothe. Our lives don't have to be a stumbling block to someone else. We can have a life that is pointing people toward Jesus because of the things we say, the life that we live, the decisions that we make, the priorities that we hold on to. We can be a people who point people toward Christ. But we've got to face the reality. Temptations are going to come. So we've got to be on guard for ourselves. But not only temptations come, that's the reality Jesus follows that with a warning, and he personalizes temptation. Let's just don't put temptation out there as just something that happens. What about if a person is the cause for that temptation? But woe to the one through whom they come. You don't want to be that kind of person. Jesus is making it very clear. You don't want to be a stumbling block. You don't want to be that one that might cause someone's life to turn away. He makes it very clear, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. It would be better. And just that's a, that's a horrible thought even. Get out into the deepest part of the sea, put a millstone around someone's neck and just watch it go down and then air bubbles just coming up while they breathe their very last. That's the image that's here. And Jesus says, get that image in your mind. It is better that that would happen to you than you would have a life that would cause someone else to stumble. Someone who's running the race of life 
and you put something in their way and cause them to stumble. Spirit West Coast, I don't know if that's still going on, but a few years back, we went to the north, Northern California Spirit West Coast, and one thing, whenever you do this, bring your earplugs. Really important that you do that because it's really loud. But they had different stages set up, and I, I was following my children around. They were, you know, teenish age at the time, and so they were, they went to this one band that they really wanted to hear. And so the singer stood up, and he said, you know, I got something I want to say, and I haven't really thought about this, and, and it could be wrong, but you know, I just, I'm going to say it anyway. I, I'm, it just, this is just coming out. I'm just going to give it to you like it is. I'm in the back going, no, no, you just stop, stop right now. What a foolish thing to do. And what came out of his mouth after that was garbage. I mean, heresy, it was stumbling blocks to these teeny boppers who were, ah, you're so cool, whatever you say, I'll do. Jesus is saying, you don't want to be that person. I tried to track this guy down for weeks, tried to get on his website, tried to find his email address. Don't ever do this again. That's not a good idea. Jesus says, woe to you. He pronounces, that would be the death of you to do something like that. So that we got the the reality. Temptations are going to come. Stumbling blocks will be there. But then we've got the warning. But don't you be that person. Don't you be that person. Then this is followed by the charge. Pay attention to yourself. You be watching yourself as you live, as you're going through the journey of life. Don't be sticking out your foot and tripping other people. Point people toward Jesus. Pay attention to yourself. Say it differently. Jesus is saying, you need to be mature. You need to be the kind of person that does point people to Christ by the way that you live. Be a person who leads people to Jesus, not away from them. It's better to have a millstone tied around your neck than lead someone away from Jesus and cause them to stumble. No, you you stay focused on following Jesus and you point people in that direction. In Luke, we've been just brought into the teachings of Jesus where there is no casual Christianity. I've got 24 hours in a day and I'll give Jesus one hour. There is none of that. Jesus says that we must be yielding ourselves, everything in our lives, to his rule and to his reign. He is on his throne. We sang that earlier. He is on his throne, and we want him to have that, his throne in our heart, too. We are to yield everything to his rule and his reign. His priorities are to become our priorities. So as we think about the week in front of us and the days that are in front of us, time is not ours. It belongs to him. How are we going to live our life? How are we going to steward everything that we have for his honor and his glory? We put our hands to the plow. We don't look back because we have found life. In Jesus, Jesus is everything. And so Jesus is saying, pay attention to yourself. Make sure that you are that kind of person who's pursuing maturity in your life. Be someone who leads people to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Live in a manner that points people toward Christ. But Jesus goes on in, verse, in the second part of verse 3. He says, pay attention to yourself. And then he goes on, if your brother sins rebuke him you see we are pursuing righteousness together he's not saying just pay attention to yourself look around you and if you see your your brother your sister in sin you go out and you rebuke that person and rebuke is not to to give them a little chastisement it's to bring them back into the fold it's to wrap your arm around them and pull them with you We are to live in a manner that pursues people 
who were walking away from Christ. Not only just live in a manner that points people toward Christ, but to live in a manner that pursues people who are walking away from Christ. And as we're on that journey and we're pursuing maturity, we're going to be doing this together. When someone gets off that path, we go over there and we want to pull them back on that path so that they're walking with us. Discipleship always, always involves reaching others. It always involves teaching others, pointing them back to Jesus. It always does. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus together. That's why we gather for worship. We don't just come because we're getting brownie points from God for showing up to church on Sunday morning and extra credit if we put something in the offering plate. No, we're actually pursuing maturity together by being here in this time. And so even as Joe was leading us in, the, in communion this morning, a time of just searching our hearts and even reflecting on where we are as individuals, but we ought to be thinking about those around us as well. In Colossians one twenty eight, it says that we proclaim Christ, reproving and teaching that we might present everyone complete in Christ. That's what this is all about. And so when we open up God's word, there, there's, a, there's a, a sense in which we are seeking to be growing together. So we are to pursue maturity in our own life. We are to call others to maturity. And then third, at the end of verse 3, we see that we are to forgive others on their journey toward maturity. We're all going to succumb to something along the way. Sin is going to be inescapable in our, in our lives to, to one degree. We're new creatures. We can live righteously, but we all battle against sin. And so when that happens, we are to forgive others on their journey toward maturity. We are to live in a manner that forgives people who are seeking to live in Christ. So we want to point people toward Jesus. We don't want to be the kind of person that leads them away from Jesus. We want to bring them back to Jesus. And when they come back, we want to be the kind of people who forgives. In verse 3, again, it says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And notice what goes on and says in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. You must forgive him. We could just sit and ponder that for a little bit. Because all of us in this room know what it's like to be sinned against. We know what that's like. And we know what it's like for someone to turn back to us and ask for forgiveness. But they repent and they ask for forgiveness. And we can know the depth of our being that it might require to actually extend forgiveness to that person. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he doesn't say, okay, there's one time in your lifetime where it's going to be some real big bad sin against you. And you're going to have to really dig deep and offer forgiveness to that person who repents. Jesus says, and if it happens seven times in the day, you're going to have to continue to reach deep, to dig down deep. And offer that forgiveness. And I think if, if we were to raise our hand right now and say, Jesus, what about if they don't repent? I think Jesus would say, you still need to have that heart of forgiveness toward that person. You still need to be that kind of person that is willing, that has a heart of forgiveness being extended to that person. People will fail. And Jesus is saying, forgive them. We are priests 
We're a kingdom of priests, is what Peter says. What do priests do? They take people where they are and bring them to their father. That's what priests do. And so when someone says, I repent, we're that person. That's what we do. We are disciples. We are teaching people. We're reaching out. And when they fail and they come back to us, we forgive. We go after people. And when they repent, we forgive them. And we go after people. And when they repent, we forgive them. And even when it's personalized with us and it hurts so deeply, we have to reach deep and forgive them. So in verses 1 through 4, Jesus is saying, if we can pull this together, pursue maturity together. Live in a manner that points people toward Christ. That's pursuing maturity in your own life. And then you want to call others to maturity. Live in a manner that pursues people who are walking away from Christ. But then you want to forgive others on their journey to maturity. Live in a manner that forgives people who are seeking to live in Christ. Now, we just stop right there. Those four verses are powerful. And there's enough in that for us just to stop and chew on it and be thinking about. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he continues on. In verses 5 through 10, we're going to be able to identify with the disciples here. But the main point in verses 5 through 10 is what God has called us to do. Everything that we just read, pay attention to yourself, bring others in, reprove them, rebuke them, and when they ask forgiveness, forgive them. All that, what God has called us to do, he has equipped us to be. So now we're going to build on this previous point. This is a high calling. And I know that as you search your own heart, you've got to be feeling some of what Jesus just said in verses 1 through 4. This is, this is a high calling for us. And so look in this next section. Look in verse 5. We see the disciples' inaccurate conclusion in verse 5. The, disciples, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I mean, how many of you feel that when you read through this? Lord, increase my faith. You've got to do something because if in this particular situation... You're asking me to grant forgiveness? you got to do something deep inside of me. I need some kind of super powerful faith for that to happen. And the disciples are listening to Jesus, and I think that's what they're thinking as well. This is a high calling. Relationships are tricky. And if they're going to somehow be able to yield themselves to the rule and reign of Jesus and make his priorities their priorities, they're thinking, man, this, we're going to have to reach deep. But what I like about this is their desire to be obedient. They've got ears to hear. They are hearing what Jesus is saying right now. They want to see this realized in their lives. Perhaps they had situations, relationships in their life right now where this was a little tricky for them. And they say, Lord, increase our faith. Do something inside of us. And we've all known an increase our faith type situation Maybe even now. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a relationship that you hold or maybe it's a relationship that's been broken. And you know what it means to say, Lord, increase our faith. I need help. I got to guard myself. I want to reprove those who are walking away from Jesus. And even when their sin has hurt me, I'm to forgive them. Increase our faith. But notice how the Lord responds to this. The Lord is going to give corrective instruction. We've seen the disciples' inaccurate conclusion. But now the Lord's going to give 
corrective instruction. And he makes a point, first of all, a major point in verse 6. And the Lord says, in response to increase our faith, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, the issue is not your faith. You don't need some super-duper extravagant faith to actually live in this kind of way, which is probably not what they wanted to hear. Jesus is not saying, you know what, the call that I just issued, only the top 10% are going to be able to reach this. Those are the only ones that are going to get the excellent mark. He's saying, look what little faith can do. You could simply say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, plant in the sea, and it would happen. Now, Jesus is not saying, that's just little faith, so if you can't do what I just asked you to do, you have even less than little faith. Jesus isn't saying that either. So what is he saying? Well, it's interesting. He goes on, and now he's going to give this parable here in verses 7 through 10. So look what it says. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at my table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, this is tricky anytime Jesus walks into parables because if we look at it real quick, it's like, well, why did Jesus go there? That doesn't make any sense. Why did he just go there? And then secondly, it is a parable. And so how we interpret parables is really important as well. You don't want a parable to say more than it was intended to say. For instance, if this was the only only parable we had about servants, then we might want to make a strong point about what Jesus is saying about servants. They're unworthy servants. Hey, don't don't act like you, don't expect anything. You're just being a slave. You just did what you were supposed to do. So don't expect anything more than that. But you could look at other passages on servants that we've already looked at in the book of Luke. I'm not going to turn to them right now. But in chapter 12, verses 35 to 38, Jesus also talks about servants. And in that particular one, the master has gone on a journey. And when he comes back, he delights in the faithfulness of his servants. And what does he do? He has them sit down and he prepares a meal for them. Just the opposite of what this parable is saying. You follow me on this? Just the opposite. And then if you read further in chapter 12, Jesus gives another parable in verses 42 to 44, and the master rewards his servants with more responsibility. You've been so faithful. Here's more responsibility that you get. And so we have to look at all these parables and realize in each one of them, the focus is servants, but the point is different. So in this context right here, what might Jesus be teaching? Here it seems That a slave is not worthy of any honor or consideration because a slave just does what a slave does with no recognition. You know, that that might be the thought that we could have here. But let's considering all the other parables that we saw, because they all concern the treatment of slaves, and they each have a different focus. What is Jesus doing here? And so we have to let this particular parable stand on its own in other words when we look at what's going on in this particular passage it seems that jesus wants the disciples to understand 
that this is who they are. This is their identity. Now follow the flow here of what's happening. Jesus says you need to be on guard for yourself. Don't be the kind of person that leads someone away from Jesus. Then Jesus says you need to reprove. Go after those, rebuke, go after those who have walked away from Jesus and forgive those when they repent. Even seven times in a day when they repent, you continue to offer forgiveness. They say increase our faith. And Jesus says it's not an increase of faith you need. You just need to realize who you are. What God has called you to do, he's already equipped you to be. You are now a new creature. You are now a follower of Jesus. This is who you are. And who you are is someone who pursues maturity. And you do that together. And you keep your eyes on Jesus. And you make sure others come with you. And even when they sin against you, you forgive them because you're all moving toward Jesus. And so the parable says, a slave just does what a slave does. And you just be who you are to be, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling them to pursue maturity together, even continuously. Our hearts are the result in new thoughts, new words, new actions. We don't have to muster up more faith to live this way. We just have to be who we are. Now, this may seem unbelievable to you, but when I play basketball, I'm a shooter, Where's Greg? Greg, I'm a shooter. I got, I got the three thing going. Uh, it may be unbelievable to you, but my team, when they, they want to get the ball in my hands, and they want me to shoot. On a good day, I can drain that three over and over. The older I get, the worse days that I have. But I can do it. So they'll set picks for me because they want me to get open. They want me to shoot. And particularly when I'm having a bad day, which, by the way, I will say was not this past week. That was a really good week. I had it going. But the week before, it was horrible. Just horrible. And so they may pull, that, pull up next to me and say, you keep taking that shot. That's you. Now, what, what are they saying to me at that point? Hey, Dave, it's a bad day, but our money's on you. That's you. That's who you are. You are a shooter. You take it. You do it. We want you to do that. That's who you are. When we think about this, Jesus is calling us to pursue maturity together. In our own lives, and the lives of others, even offering that forgiveness when other people are not living the way they should. And Jesus is basically telling this parable. He's looking at the disciples saying, that's you. That's you. Increase our faith. No, 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 no. That's you. This is who you are. I want you to live in this way. This is what God has called you to do, but he's already equipped you to be this. And so the questions that we're faced with is, are you pursuing maturity? Because that's you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. Come on, right now, everybody, that's you. Are you pursuing maturity? That is you. You are to be feeding your soul. You are to be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be an increasing hunger for you to know the Lord in your life. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, after all of this laying out the gospel, Paul says to them, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's you. And so Jesus is saying, given this parable, pursue maturity, that's you. But he also says, rebuke those who are walking away. We're, We're to be calling others to maturity as well. That's you. Jesus says, when I tell you 
to rebuke them, to pull them back into the fold. That's you. That's who you are. And so we think about our relationships, husbands to wives or children, friendships and relationships with one another, in our life groups. Whatever those relationships are, we are to be calling all of them to maturity. That's you. That's not relegated for the pastor or for the overseers or those who are more spiritually inclined, the super Christians, the ones who have that increased faith. No, it's you. Every one of you in this room, that's you. You're to be pursuing a life like that. And are you forgiving others even seven times a day? Even when that sin is up against you and it hurts so much, Think about marriages in the Christian world today that are so fragile and friendships that are so fragile, yet we have the gospel, the gospel that is be igniting our hearts with love and tender compassion toward one another, giving us that energy to forgive. Jesus says, that's you. I'm not asking you to do anything that's going to require super faith. I'm just telling you, be who you are. Pursue maturity. Call others to it. And when they fail, And they come in repentance, forgive them. And I think Jesus would add, even when they don't, continue to have that heart of forgiveness. Have you given yourself a pass with certain relationships? You just given yourself a pass, put that relationship in another category that doesn't require that kind of forgiveness. I don't have to go after that particular person who's walking away from Jesus. I've got a pass on that. Everything else in my life is looking good. This is put over here, it's quarantined. I don't have to deal with that. Jesus is saying, you do. That's you. When you're a follower of Jesus, this kind of heart is going to be growing in us. We simply do what we were called to do because what God has called us to do, he's equipped us to be just like a slave. This isn't super faith kind of stuff. When, when a slave does this, you go, oh, that's so great. Here's your bonus. No, the slave just did what he was supposed to do. And Jesus is saying, you need to do this. It's not, please give us super faith. He just says, this is who you are. This is what it means to be you now. You're in the kingdom. You've got your hands on the plow. There's no looking back. Live in this kind of way. Do you follow me on this? That's you. That's you. All these commands that Jesus has given here, it doesn't take super faith. It's just who you are. And real quickly, when we get to verses 11 through 19, how can we pull all this in? Not only would I have loved to have stopped at verse 4, I'd love to stop right now at verse 10, but we're going to stop at verse 19. But let me tie it in in this way, because this is an incredible story. What God does, that's you. What God does, because of who you are, He's worthy of all glory. And so when we actually are who God has created us to be and we are pursuing righteousness, we're pursuing maturity because that's you, there's no sense of, yeah, it is. I think you're right. It's me. No, it's it's all glory goes to Jesus. And when you reach out and you see someone who's wandering off that path and you rebuke them and pull them back in and point them toward Christ, because that's you. There's no, yeah, I'm a dynamite Christian. I'm living the increased faith life. No, Jesus says, this is the work that he does. And when you... Someone comes to you and repents and and you forgive even up to seven times? 
You don't say, I get extra credit. I did it eight. No, that's you. That's you. And God has equipped you to be you. Redeemed. Born again. A new creature. With these kind of capacities. And these kind of appetites. But as we exercise that in our life, all glory goes to him. You see, we like God to do his work like the nine lepers did. We want to see all that happen in us. And then we go on our merry way. And one came back and gave glory to Jesus. Throughout the years, my son has had two really good friends. And we saw them get into trouble together. We saw them try to follow Jesus together only for that to fall apart and end up in all kinds of different places. And especially one of the dads. I don't know how many times we just pulled aside and, and we, we prayed and we wept for our sons. God, please work. Do something in their lives. And we would just weep. Steve and I had a couple of those moments in Starbucks together just weeping for our children. And then when we see our sons begin to turn around, and so now my son's about ready to graduate from Biola, and God's got him in such a good place. And look at these two friends of his. Both of them were just flaky, and we thought they were going to go nowhere. And now one of them's pursuing ministry, and the other one's in a really good place. All three of them are in good place. Working my way through this passage, I called one, I called, I sent an email to both of the dads, and I said, you know what, we need to get together and give thanks to the Lord. There's no sense. We, we, there's nothing we can say that, yep, our parenting through those real crucial adolescent years that got our kids to this place right here. Got any questions about parenting? Got an adolescent? Come see me. I navigated those waters. I did good. No, Jesus makes it very clear whether it's leprosy or a transformed heart. The evidence of fruit in our lives. All glory goes to him. That's the best I can do to, to pull together verses 11 through 19 into this passage. We're all needy. We all understand what it's like when the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord says, I've already made you who you are. And so when you actually go out and live this, you give glory to me. So let's just all bow right now in prayer. I know that in each of our lives, there are some of us here who are struggling with pursuing maturity. Sin has a grip on you. And you need your appetites to be transformed. Some of you know a brother or sister who's walking hard away from Jesus. And you need to have the heart that goes after that person. Don't give up on that. Some of you have had people extend the, the words, I repent to you, and you're having a hard time forgiving. And Jesus says, up to seven times a day, you grant that forgiveness. And for all of these things, Jesus says, that's you. So I want us all to consider right now our identity in Christ. We're new creatures. We live differently. That's you. And so whatever it is that you want to...
talk with the Lord about. Talk with him right now, and then Dan and the team will lead us in a song.